Our scripture reading today is in the book of 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5. So 1 John, chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 6. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar, because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the eternal life that we gain through faith, through your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would uh, attune us this morning to what you would have. Lord, that you would take any and all distraction away from our mind and our hearts. Lord, that we may hear from you this morning. Lord, let it be uh, something that builds us up. Lord, something that challenges us. And Lord, something that we may take from here and apply to our lives. We will pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Being away for these past two weeks has both been a restful time, but also been a, a struggling time for me. Struggle from the viewpoint of sharing with you this morning again Another, if you will, hallmark, another drawing in the sand, if you will, of a death of a nation. And traveling in many miles and crossing many states, you become even more and more aware of what is happening. And quite frankly, we live in a, in a very good monastery here. We don't have a lot of the things that affect us as other parts of the world, whether in major cities or in other states. But this morning, I want to share with you the next, if you will, the next hallmark, the next uh, part of the death of a nation. And this particular one, it, it, it's called the, oh, we were there, my fault, I think. It'll come. We have a good young lady back there. She, ah, there it is. Complete with a green square. We're talking about the death of religious belief. Now, this isn't something new that has happened to the world. It's been dressed up in different aspects all over the world, but this morning, I want to begin by sharing with you an interesting 
historical event that Alexander Solzhenitsyn, when he came to this country, he shared a story of two old peasants that he had the privilege of hearing their remarks when he was a young child. It all began with what's called the Bolshevik Revolution. From a historical perspective, now all of you that don't like history, too bad, I do. But in the early, early years of the 20th century, I'm speaking from 1917 all the way up to 1922, there was a revolution that was happening in what is presently called Russia. It was led by Vladimir Lenin and the Bolshevik party. It was their desire to literally destroy the political aspect of what was already stationed in Russia. They wanted to destroy the czars of Russia, the leaders, if you will, the kings. And what was happening during that particular time was that anyone who disagreed with the ideals of the revolution were either persecuted, reformed, or they were killed. In fact, from a historical perspective, you can go and read concerning the Bolshevik Revolution, and you will find out that an, an interesting statement was made that the streets ran red with blood. It was a way of changing a whole nation away from its political aspect to a new political aspect. We would call it today a coup, the destroying of the relative leaders of the, church, of the, of the nation. But during this time, Alexander Solzhenitsyn heard two old peasants as they were discussing what was happening in the streets of Russia. And it wasn't until many years later when he himself was in the United States that he remembered their phrase of what they were saying that all of a sudden lights began to hit. And he began to espouse this in our country when he said this statement. These were the words that he heard these peasants say. It is because we have forgotten God. This is why all of this is happening to us. We have forgotten God. I think when Alexander Solzhenitsyn, when he was here in our country in the early 60s, when he began to espouse this, I think the, the country said that'll never happen to us. But I'm afraid to say that it has. I'm afraid to say that it has. The present mode, if you will, or the philosophy that is happening in our world today, not just in the United States, but in our world, is really fueled by three philosophical theologies. I know those terms don't seem to fit together, and they really don't, but in reality, these three philosophical theologies are present in our society today. The first one is Darwinism. 
You might remember the, the battle many years ago concerning the teaching of the theology or the uh, philosophy of Darwinism. But this is what it turned out to be. Whether Darwin originally intended it or not, eventually it provided grounds by which secularists could divorce nature from the divine author of nature. And then ignore if it that if it if not deny God Himself, Darwinism proved with absolutely no empirical evidence that everything that is and everything that happens is merely natural. In other words, nature is all that there is. The second philosophy that turned into a theology that has influenced governments in our world is this, uh, Freudianism. Freudianism, whether Freud originally intended it or not, eventually provi it provided grounds by which secularists could eliminate all notion of sin and guilt and inhibition brought about by religion and free man to seek and define self-fulfillment and self-actualization and concentrate less on social restrictions and more on self. You know what really bothers me with this Freudianism is that there are, quote, evangelical pastors who are even staying away from the preaching of sin. And their, their philosophy and their church's philosophy is that we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ said that his word, his word is going to make you uncomfortable. You can't get away from it. And unfortunately, that philosophy, theology, has gotten into too many churches. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, which you are, if I ever get to that point where it comes to the scriptures, as Pastor Steve even read this morning, that I would even deny that Jesus is the Son of God, you need to fire me. Because the truth never fails. Can someone help me out with an amen? The truth never fails. And we may not like to recognize the fact that we are sinners, but I'm here to tell you we are. And the only difference between a lost and a found one is that we have been found by the grace of Jesus Christ, but we still are growing sinners, aren't we? We still mess up. We're no better than what we used to be if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And when you divorce sin, then there's no need of a Savior. You see how that works. The last philosophy, theology is this, Marxism. Marxism intended it from the start used the naturalism of Darwinism and the uninhibited freedoms from sin, from, of Floridianism, to build his fraud. 
the dream of the perfect world collective and communist utopia. And the path to get there, even though bloody revolution, if necessary. Marxism. Feudalism. And Darwinism. All of that brings about the fact that, as Marx once quoted in his Communist Manifesto, he said, the goal is a godless nation. Because when a strong man draws his strength from God, his belief in God can't be reduced. Morality comes from religion. Therefore, religion must be destroyed. Must be destroyed. I know that Pastor Steve read out of 1 John chapter 5, but I want you to turn just before we begin. Well, we've already begun, but let's turn before we get in this too heavy to uh, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Just the first five verses. In the first five verses, there are 19 characteristics that are listed that will happen in the end times. In particular, though, I want you to turn to verse 5 and to the last one. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, the very last one. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness. Didn't say having godliness, a form of it, which means it looks good on the outside, but nothing's happened on the inside. It means people can be conformed to an image, but what is divorced is the power, which is in reality. The belief, as what Pastor Steve read, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I can dress up a dog and bring it to church, but it don't make that dog anything different than a dressed up dog. A cat can walk down the center aisle as if it's coming for repentance. But all it's looking for is a treat. We can have a form of godliness, but lose out on the power that is behind it. And you want to know what the power is? Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power 
of God unto salvation to the Jew first, also to the Greek. The Apostle Paul takes that and, and develops it a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says that the preaching of the cross to those who are saved is the power of God. We can have a form, but the text tells us, but there'll be no power. We can dress up religion all you want. But if Jesus is divorced from it, all you got is a form. There's no power. There's no hope. There's no clarity. The Communist Manifesto, developed by Karl Marx, has these four things. First, it calls for the elimination of private property. I definitely am not the sharpest pencil in the box. But when I see that 87,000 individuals to be hired by and for the IRS. They're not there just to count money. If you've been keeping up with this, you will recognize that one of their first criteria is, is they can't be afraid to use a gun to shoot you. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what are they coming for? Why do they need those 87,000 new employees of the government, whom, by the way, we pay for. Why couldn't that money have been given to a force where every school district in the United States could have an armed guard and still have millions of dollars left over? Why do they need 87,000 new IRS employees? Now you've got to go back a few years. The second thing is the creation of a new social order class of wage earners whose only possession of significant economic value is their labor power. These are then to be led by a group of hand-picked leaders, a.k.a. a dictator. Now, this is where I get really jacked up. I've read excerpts. I've not seen it. I didn't hear it. But the president-elect, Mr. Biden, ought to be ashamed of what he had to say on Tuesday night. He should have been ashamed. Did you, and don't miss the details, why was the stage blackened with only red lights streaming down? 
you did not see one American flag. Not one. Creation of a new workforce whose only accountability is their labor. You need to come to my Sunday school class. The abolition of religion, especially Christianity that taught people to esteem personal freedom, moral responsibility, and allegiance to God that would have threatened the dictatorship. Thus, the persecution and massacre of millions of Christians in China, Russia, and Germany. Our present condition. Let me give to you a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn when he said, when men turn their back on heaven in search of alien gods, they unleash darkness and damnation upon the earth. The abandonment of who God is. So what has happened? Well, number one, violence and self-destruction of our age is taking place because we are making the same mistakes. Streets are filled with violence. Separation of church and state is nothing more than a desire to erase the presence of God in society. Thirdly, the ideology of diversity and tolerance and change. Our rejection of Christian principles upon which this nation has been found. D.A. Carson, a theologian of years ago, interestingly wrote this situation when he said, we drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of, last, of, of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we are being liberated. In his book, For the Love of God, D.A. Carson. And lastly, this nation, like the previous empires, 
have forgotten God and turn to new intellectuals who have created a man-made idol of self. Do we all worship the same God? During the events that surrounded this nation at the time of 9-11, prayer gatherings were established to aid in the nation's healing. Many types of religions attended these prayer times, which allowed for the statement, we all worship the same God. Celebrities prayed. Priests prayed, monks prayed, imams prayed, and pastors prayed, which gave the impression that all were united in the pursuit of peace and tranquility. But when it was all said and done, Buddhists protested. They said, we reject that statement, the statement of we worship all the same God, We reject that statement. We have no concept of God in our religion. Buddhists. Do we really worship the same God? Not according to 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through verse 13. For anyone who denounces that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, does not worship my God. I say that unequivocally from Scripture. Not from my own self, but from Scripture. I I really get to that point when I hear, God bless America. I do not know if our present president said that at the end of his speech. If he did, he's a hypocrite. I know that's a strong word, but I just have to lay it on the line. And if he did say it, then my, answer, my question is, to which God, which one, do you want to bless America? I'm under the impression that in order to have the blessing of God, we ought to be blessing him the way we live. Oh, I got you quiet on that one, didn't I? In order, we want, if we want God's blessing, then there comes a time when this nation must bless him. To take him at his word. Willing to do what the word of God has to say. And don't back down from it in any form or matter. It's interesting, I came across an article written many years ago, but I think it still has relevance for today. It's a letter from an individual that entitles themselves a relic from Washington. In the closing moments, I want to just read for you excerpts 
from that letter. The author said, while, while browsing my local newspaper, I happened to come across a letter from one of them, one of them published by Ann Landers in her syndicated column. The writer referred to the previous column in which Miss Landers had expressed doubt that anyone would want to go back to the good old days, and especially to the Depression era, regardless of how good our memories may be. Well, you're wrong, said the letter writer. I would. Then she went on to explain. Money was scarce and times were hard, but when things got tough, we did without and cut back on our lifestyle. We didn't look to government to make up the difference. People with food stamps weren't buying junk food or trading them for cash to buy cigarettes and beer. Holy cow, can you imagine an article written like that now? Churches administered help to those in need and the homeless were taken care of by relatives. You know, when we come, when we come to that tractor treat, you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see a table full of sweatshirts to give to children who need them. Now's the time to buy sweatshirts, people. They're less expensive than waiting till October. It gets cold, and so does the price go up. Get sweatshirts. No, you can't have my lawn mowing sweatshirts. They're all ratty. They're all pitted out. That ain't going to do no child a good thing. But buy sweatshirts. If you've got some sweatshirts that maybe are still in good shape and you don't wear them anymore, then we'll take those too, right, Pastor Steve? We'll take those too. Let's cover a table that we can help the community. Where'd you get that sweatshirt? Oh, someone that brought this big front end loader. which wasn't a tractor. <laughs> Don't need to name names, but he's sitting right over here. <laughs> they had this thing going on where we could go get, and they gave us a sweatshirt. But you want to know what's going to be with that sweatshirt? The gospel. The gospel. The lady goes on. School children, ooh, she continued, learned because it was expected of them. They didn't have their education sugar-coated or made fun. Teachers were respected, not insulted and beaten up. The courses were geared to life. I mean reading and writing and arithmetic, not entertainment. You didn't worry that kids in your school might turn up with handgun or a knife or cocaine. If you couldn't afford medical treatment, she said, there were county hospitals. Many fine doctors learned a lot about patient care in those places. Men took off their hats when the flag passed by. And children were taught to stand at attention Everybody knew all the words of the national anthem and America the beautiful. 
The writer also remembers the Sabbath was for church and other religious observances, not for football on TV or getting away from it all. Holidays were observed on the day the event occurred, not moved around to give people the three-day weekend. And the letter concludes with this important message. The big difference is that most people aren't as honest or as noble or as hardworking as they used to be. And that bothers me. I'm afraid it's going to get worse before it gets better. And the letter was signed, a relic from Washington. But what happened? When faith no longer informs our actions and gives direction to the hopes and dreams of the nation, things fall apart. Fundamentally, our society's affliction is the decay of religious belief. If a culture is to survive and flourish, it must not be severed from the religious vision out of which it arose. The high necessity of reflective men and women then is to labor for the restoration of religious teachings as a credible body of doctrine. Quote from Russell Kirk. Where do we go from here? You've heard the statement, keep the faith. It's more than to encourage individuals. It literally is a way of life. Keep the faith. Let people know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to give you an assignment. The assignment is this. After we finished with this series, I have two more. When we finish, I'm going to go to John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, there are six reasons to not worry. There are six reasons not to have a worried heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Six reasons. I want you to read that chapter. Engage that chapter into your life. See if you can spot the six reasons there. And from there, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. Where the book of Hebrews begins, God at sundry times spoke to us through his prophets, but now has spoken to us through his son. And then it lists ten things that Jesus did so that we can remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's the journey of the book of Hebrews. 
when things get tough, the writer of Hebrews says, we have a Savior who will carry us through. That's my journey for the next few months. Engage yourself in those readings. Come to realize of how wonderful our Savior is and how even though the world around us may be darkening, may be shaking, understand this, we're not home yet. Christ is coming. Be ready. Can we stand, please, for the benediction? Savior. In Christ's name I pray.